From the Center for the Study and Teaching of Writing at The Ohio State University, this is Writer's Talk. I'm Doug Dangler. Tom Gamble has been a writer on Seinfeld, The Critic, The Wonder Years, and its Gary Shandling show, in addition to Saturday Night Live in 1979. With his writing partner, Max Pross, he won an Emmy Award for Outstanding Animated Program in 2001 for an episode of The Simpsons. He's also made a number of YouTube videos about the difficult life of being a cartoonist. So welcome, Tom Gamble. Thanks. Yeah, you can see those YouTube videos by just typing in Tom Gamble on YouTube. Mm -hmm. G-A-M-M-I-L-L. -L. Mm -hmm. See, I know even how to spell the guest name. I'm, I'm, I'm way ahead of it. That's fair. This, so far, this is going great. Yeah, so far. Let's stop now. Um, tell me, how did you get into comedy writing? Were you the class clown? How did this start off? Uh, no, I was definitely the class nerd, and I started off in definitely in junior high and high school drawing cartoons, and I really thought I was going to be a cartoonist, uh, and I went to college, I went to Harvard, and I got onto the Harvard Lampoon as a cartoonist, but then once I was there, um, there were a lot of equally nerdy uh, people who were funny, and uh, we just sort of kind of taught ourselves how to be writers, uh, mm -hmm. uh, and I didn't want to go back to my room and draw cartoons, so I kind of fell in with this group of, of people who went on to be TV writers. Okay. And uh, so without realizing it, just in the four years of hanging out with these people and cracking jokes and, and trying to get stuff in the magazine, we kind of sort of taught ourselves what it, what being a TV writer ended up being. Okay. So this is back in the... I graduated in 79, so this is back... The TV landscape was a lot different back then. All right. Tell me how you taught yourself. What were the rules that you invented along the way or the ways that you figured out how to be... Well, no, I mean, to be a TV writer, it's it's very social. You've got to, like, learn how to, like talk to the actors about how to do the joke. You've got to talk, get along with other writers. For example, on The on the Simpsons, there's up to uh, 10 writers in the room with you when you're working on a script. So you got to learn, you know, when to pitch stuff and when to keep your mouth shut. And if they don't like your joke, you can't be too whiny. You can't keep pitching it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you got you to be uh, funny and not too obnoxious. You know, you can't be, like, in stand-up mode where you're, like, jumping around because that makes people nervous after a while. Okay. I mean, def most TV writers are generally pretty nerdy, um, but I've noticed they have they have slightly better social skills than cartoonists because cartoonists <laughs> just have to sit by by themselves in their room, whereas okay. a TV writer you got to actually talk to other people during the day. Okay. But that's worked out well for you, talking to other people during the day. Yeah, so far. Like, well, okay. but now as I got older, now now that I'm uh, over fifty, I, I don't mind being by myself all day. So I enjoy being a cartoonist more than a okay. TV writer. And you show that in the YouTube videos yeah. that you've got, um, where you show your the studio, you spill paint, you spill ink on yourself, right. and, and things like that. Yeah, actually, it's funny. Those the original idea for the uh, bumbling cartoonist, uh, my writing partner Max Press and I wrote those originally for Letterman back in the early '80s, but he didn't want to play a character. But um, and then, you know, 25 years went by and it's like, hey, I'm the age of that bumbling cartoonist and I've got kids who can pretend to hate me. And, and mm -hmm. so <laughs> I cast my kids mm -hmm. in the thing. And uh, so now I'm playing the part originally written for Dave Letterman in 1982. Okay. And I, um, one of them, you're uh, trying to find a partner to sit next to you or to sit at your table. Oh, at, the, at the Rubin Awards, yeah. Right. This is the National Cartoonist Society annual awards ceremony. Um, I was a host last year, and this was sort of a, a video to introduce me. 
-hmm. and the premise was I couldn't find anyone to sit next to me at the uh, awards, so they let me host. Mm -hmm. And you go to the, you, what I thought was uh, the, the interesting thing and the funny thing about it is you keep going to different people and obviously they turn you down, but the acting quality varies wildly yes. among the cartoonists. So oh, when yeah. you, you talk about uh, people being able to talk to other people, I get what you're saying about the cartoonists. <laughs> yeah. Some of them seem really uncomfortable to be online. How, how did you work that out with them? How did you convince all of them to do it? Um, or they, did they jump at the chance because they said somebody else will be here? Yeah, I, that pretty much, uh, yeah, like the original summer party scene, in fact, you know, you could put this in your show if you want, mm -hmm. you can actually show clips of it, um, oh. was at Kathy Geiswhite's house, Kathy Geiswhite, who, who's drawn Kathy for 30 years and recently mm -hmm. retired, and because uh, Kathy was willing to do it, we got some of those other uh, cartoonists on board mm -hmm. and cartoonist okay. wives. Well, I happen to have seen this uh, recently. And I was watching, also, I uh, read Pearls Before Swine. Oh, yeah. And the guy from Pearls Before Swine is yeah. in it. And uh, he's a peeping Tom. Yes, he gets it. yelled at by Jeannie Schultz. Right, and she leads him off by the ear. And yeah. I, I thought, well, my daughter's a big fan of Pearls Before Swine. I'd show it to her, but then I would have to explain the peeping Tom references <laughs> and all that stuff. So uh, it's uh, not safe for work, really. Don't. But I don't know, it felt like a little <laughs> rascals thing. You can show your kids little rascals. It's just a guy looking in a window. It's, right. It's not like we cut to... <laughs> the girls in their underwear or anything. No, no. So you. But I thought Jeannie Schultz was a great actress. I thought she did a great job mm -hmm. of yelling at Stefan. And she's actually here at the festival. And I said, you did a good job. And she said, well, Stefan's very easy to yell at. Good, good. <laughs> I wondered about that. Yeah. So you've written frequently with Max Pross. Yeah. How do you write comedy? You talked about writing in a room of people. How mm -hmm. do you write comedy, just the two of you? When you sit down, you're just throwing jokes back and forth, setting up a premise. Yeah, it's, your process? It's, different. it's funny because we met in college and uh, neither one of us thought we would be um, TV writers. He was going to uh, medical school. And um, I actually got a job as a writer at Hallmark Cards. I applied as a as an artist, and they hired me as a writer because I'm a crappy artist. <laughs> but uh, uh, and then out, out of the blue, this guy Jim Downey, who's still at Saturday Night Live, called us and said, "Hey, I've read your stuff in the Lampoon. Why don't you get a packet together and uh, submit it to Saturday Night Live?" We had no idea how to get into TV at that point, mm -hmm. and so just from being on the magazine and working together for three and a half years, you know, we knew how to write some funny sketches, and we submitted it. So we kind of got got uh, on Saturday Night Live as a fluke. You know, we didn't start out at college. My goal is to get on Saturday Night Live. And um, I mean, we're talking about advice for people trying to break into TV now. It's, it's, it's different because just like the YouTube videos, you know, now you can get a camera and you can pretty easily edit stuff yourself. I would definitely recommend if anyone wants to get into TV, get out there and shoot stuff on your own. You know, find your friends as to be the actors and, and write to the strengths of your friends. That's sort of like what we do with the learn to draw videos, you know, I can play a 50 year old um, uh, dim-witted cartoonist, so <laughs> I cast myself, it's, it's easier for me to play it than to try to describe it to somebody else. Mm -hmm. And then we write stuff around who we can get. And um, I, I think that's the best advice. We certainly didn't have that opportunity 30 years ago. You know, I mean, when I was at Saturday Night Live to do a three minute film, you needed like a crew of 10 people and two weeks and $40,000 or whatever. Mm -hmm. now, now you can do it in your afternoon for free, basically. Okay. So I would say definitely, you know, especially like sketches, get out there, find friends, shoot the stuff yourself. Because so much of being a writer, especially with live action, is communicating with the actors. Mm -hmm. um, and cut it together and get it on YouTube. You know, another way is, uh, I, it's funny because uh, my son is at uh, NYU now and wants to be a comedy writer. 
And uh, he didn't learn from the mistakes. <laughs> no, it's funny. Growing up, trouble. growing up, he he thought I was a real, you know he, he thought I was a real loser, and he wanted to be the solid rock and roll guy. But now that he's in college, it's like, oh, now now he wants to be a comedy writer. But one thing he does is he uh, he tweets like a couple of times a week, and that's a good writing exercise too. Mm-hmm. You know, even if you have just an audience of three or four people, if mm-hmm. you do that a couple of times a week. I think Twitter is going to kill comic strips. It's another thing that's going to kill comic strips. Really? Yeah, because it's just a fast way to get a funny idea, and you don't have to um, look at pictures. Okay. Well, tell me about moving from being a writer to a producer. You've gone to be the producer for The Simpsons and Futurama, things like that. You said uh, when we were talking beforehand, it's a glorified writer. Yes, yeah. The, the producer credit, like if you watch the opening of The Simpsons, it goes for, it seems like, hours, lots of different producers. And basically all of those are, are writers on the show. And then, like, two or three of them actually do the production stuff. So how is, I mean, what is it that you do that got you the producer title that's different from the r- other writers? You just corral them together and say, produce something. I mean, what is it? Why Why did they give you that title? It's, it's a glorified name for a writer. <laughs> it really is. It's going to stick to that one. Yeah, no, it's, I'm trying to think. It's like, because I've been labeled a producer for a long time, like on the old Gary Shandling show on Showtime. In lieu of giving you more money, they, they give you a title. Oh, okay. And uh, so, so that's it. It's also a way to get your name on the show every week, even if you didn't write the actual script. Mm-hmm. Because on The Simpsons, you know, there's like one or two people who get the written by credit every week. But every week, you know, that script has gone through, you know, 20 writers or so. So it doesn't matter if your particular line or gag ended up in that. What determines who gets credit for it? Though? Oh, the person who writes the first draft. Okay. Yeah. So even though other people are in socially contributing to it, it depends yeah. on who sits down to write the first draft. And you know, there's in, uh, when I was on Seinfeld, there are scripts that say written by Tom Gale and Max Frost where by the time we got on the air, Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld had written the bulk of it, but because we had mm-hmm. written the first, uh, <laughs> first draft. Um, things are changing now, though, in TV, as it's more like written slash reality, like a Larry David show, Curb Your Enthusiasm, they don't have like a literal script. He basically has an outline, a carefully thought out outline, mm-hmm. and he knows what's going to happen in every scene. And there's a little improv going there. The Jed Apatow movies are like that too. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a it's a it's a much more realistic way to do comedy, and and in the long run, it's it's better. So you are you're a fan of those? Oh yeah, yeah. Like I mean, going back to are we talking about the learn to draw videos? Like like everybody knows it, but those are there's not really a script. It's like in this scene, I'm going to talk and someone's going to throw a milkshake at me. You know, mm-hmm. we, we started doing scene by scene. You know, if I'd known that you were up for that, we would have brought milkshakes yeah. in. And uh, I'm sorry yeah. that I didn't get that. You've also co-written with comedy legends like Eric Idle. And Dan Aykroyd and Lauren Michaels. Well, no, that's uh, I was on Saturday Night Live the years that uh, that year that they were they were on the show. So yeah, okay. I mean, yeah, Lauren Michaels. So you haven't co-written with anybody. No, this I is mean, a line. Yeah. Okay. But where was that? Was that on? I, it Wikipedia was online. Yeah. You know, I don't want to say Wikipedia. Yeah. That might no. have been where it is. Uh, <laughs> no, Lauren Michaels was my first boss, and it was he's a really great first boss. I mean, that was my first job right out of college. It was okay. 1979-80. You know, Saturday Night Live was in its fifth season. And uh, everyone thought the show was about to wrap up at that point. <laughs> and it was so different then, because, you know, like Budweiser was a sponsor, so there was actually, like, Budweiser beer in, in all the uh, refrigerators, and, like, people were, like, they'd start meetings, and people would be smoking joints and stuff. And uh, it was just, it was, it was crazy. And uh, that really kind of screwed me up, like, what, what a job should be. You know, there were, like, 22 shows a year, so you only came in 22 weeks. Mm-hmm. The shows that <laughs> there wasn't a show, nobody came in, 
And um, so then my next job was a letterman, and it's like, what? You can't drink beer? This is, <laughs> you know, this is like working at a bank. Oh, so can you say? Well, you've said it twice, so yeah, <laughs> you can now. <laughs> so, so that was Saturday Night Live was your first job out of college. Really screws you up about what what a job is like, because also there'd be a big party. Like, uh, my first week in show business, I meet, like, Steve Martin and Bill Murray, and then we're driving around in limos and going to parties, and mm-hmm. then coming in Monday and drinking beer. It was... Okay. It was, it was uh, I, I think you've made the best <laughs> argument for being a writer uh, that anybody has yeah. made on Writer's Talk. But, by the way, I really don't think Saturday Night Live works that way anymore. Okay. I don't know, but... Well, there are, uh, Lauren Michaels has certainly... Uh, he's not as young as he used to be. No. He may not be doing these things anymore. Yeah. I don't know if you're suggesting... But I think the show's doing. still great. I think it's... I mean, Kristen Wiig, she's as funny as anyone who's ever been on now. Mm-hmm. You know, I got to think probably the process is the same, but probably it's a little more business-like than it was. Because <laughs> so they, they have so much more competition now. Because, you know, you've got, you've got like, uh, John Stewart and Stephen Colbert. There's so many more people doing that kind of comedy now. Mm-hmm. So who do you, who you've mentioned uh, John Stewart, Stephen Colbert, uh, Saturday Night Live. Who are the really big names that you're looking to now, or who do you think is coming up that's really going to change uh, comedy writing? Uh, Judd Apto. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, Judd Apto is great. I I don't think there's anyone funnier on this planet than um, Kristen Wiig. I think she's great. Okay. Um, yeah, I think that the current cast of I know it's. It's uh, cool to go like, oh, you know, it's not as funny as it used to be. But, man, I, I think Saturday Night Live is now as funny as it's ever been. Okay. And um, who else is funny? You know, I got Stephen Colbert and, and uh, John Stewart, you know, and then, then my kids will tell me people, you know, just who I find on the Internet and stuff, you know, the whitest kids you know. And, mm-hmm. and uh, so there's just so many great places to find comedy now thanks to, okay. thanks to the YouTubes. But has it and, – and now let's talk about your – you went – from doing more writing back to what is now, I understand, is your roots in cartooning. Uh-huh. And you've gone online to gocomics.com yeah. and you're writing The Doozies, yeah. which is like a three-panel strip right. and uh, leads to you being here at the Billy Ireland yeah. uh, Festival. So tell me about switching back to something like that. How did that change your process? Obviously, you've said a couple times you're alone now yeah. when you're writing this, yep. um, except for the times when there are cameras in there filming you. <laughs> right, right. What, how many, how long does it take you to come up with a, a cartoon? How much time do you spend in it? What's your process per day? Walk me through a day. Well, um, I, I should probably walk you through how I started doing the um, comic strip. Okay. Uh, because uh, it was during the Writers Guild strike, and mm-hmm. uh, all the writers would meet early in the morning, and we'd, we'd pick it for three hours, and it was great. We'd, we'd lose weight, and it was kind of healthy, and then we didn't know what to do. So Max and I would meet and say, let's, uh, let's do something for YouTube, because we could do that without breaking any Writers Guild rules. Okay. So then we said, hey, what about that you know, Letterman sketch we did in 1982? I, I could play that guy. Mm-hmm. So then I said, yeah, let's do something about a, a, a hapless cartoonist. And then it's like, well, hey, I, I should come up with an actual comic strip. Because uh, I, I've always loved comic strips, and um, so I said, you know, rather than just the premise being that the comic strip is lame, it's like my feeling was I'm going to make the comic strip the best I can, and still pe- a lot of people think it's still lame, but you know, at least uh, it'll be much more believable that I think it's great, and it is pretty good. Go to cocomics.com okay. and see the doozies. So, and uh, so, um, we're, 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 am I getting to your point? So you asked nice about the daily process. <laughs> yeah, what's your daily process? Yeah, okay, so the, the daily process it's basically three panels. And um, I think a lot of ideas while sitting in traffic, you know. It's a good um, thing you live in you live in L.A. Right? Yeah, I live in yeah, L.A. It's so a good thing you live in a lot of traffic. Yeah. yeah, and uh, usually, when I I can't think of more than two ideas at a time because then my brain goes like, you've got two ideas to draw, 
you know, draw those, and then we'll think of some more ideas. So, mm-hmm. uh, and um, thanks to um, being on online, I have up till I can draw a cartoon up until eight thirty the night before, so I can do some topical stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, but the comic strip, the doozies, is, is basically a throwback where um, once there's a punchline. It can actually cause people to like have their hats fly off or jump out of the frame and stuff. So, mm-hmm. you know, stuff that you can't do in uh, real life. You're listening to Writer's Talk from the Center for the Study and Teaching of Writing at The Ohio State University with my guest, writer Tom Gamble, producer of The Simpsons, who was in town recently for the Festival of Cartoon Art from the Billy Ireland Cartoon Library Museum at Ohio State. For more of our interviews, visit us at www.writerstalk.org or facebook.com slash writerstalk. While you're there, you can check out our upcoming events and submit questions for upcoming authors. Now, back to my conversation with Tom Gamble. What, uh, what's been your favorite experience on that one? Is there a cartoon that you really thought nailed the essence of the show? That, uh, uh, I'm sorry, of the strip? Of the strip? Um... <laughs> Let's see. What's the one you pull out when people visit and force them? Oh, that's to a good question. Well, I did one. Well, it's really you got to show it. It's, it's hard to explain, but well, basically, there's a guy with a sign that says "We'll work for food," and then the car comes up and says "Hop in," and then they drive to this mansion, and then there's this roast turkey saying "Type this up." <laughs> it's holding a uh, piece of paper. He's literally working for food. Okay. So, oh, I get it. Okay. Um, there's another hilarious one about a lamp store, but. But you should, you got to see it. I'll explain it. Okay, a guy's working at a lamp store. He goes, what a day. And then he's going outside in the parking lot now to go home and relax. And he's at home and his wife says, dear, can you switch on that, that lamp? And he goes, it never ends. <laughs> see, it's not perfect telling it, but if you saw it in writing, it's, uh, it's pretty funny. Okay. Tell me about the, uh, the when you're doing that, it, it, you have a different kind of approach to that because you don't get to develop characters as much, right? Because it's yeah. the... The panel, panel gag. Right, right. Um, whereas on something like Seinfeld, well, not necessarily Seinfeld, but... Uh, so I'll tell you about Seinfeld, because, you know, uh, Larry, David, and Jerry Seinfeld ran the show, and they were great showrunners, and you would go in there basically with sort of germs of ideas, like like Kramer installs a air conditioner and it falls out of the window. You know, they would like that premise. And a lot of times you'd go in and you'd give them a bunch of premises and they wouldn't respond, and then at lunch you'd mention something that really happened to you that really ticked you off. Like, you know, I, I bought a car because a used car salesman said it belonged to John Voight, and it really ticked me off. And they say, well, that, write about that. That's what we want. Mm-hmm. And we talked about, like, during the go-go 80s when Max and I weren't working, we went to visit our friend who was on Wall Street and all pompous. And uh, for dessert, he, he took a Snickers bar and he was eating it with a knife and fork. And it made us really furious. And we, and it made you furious? Yeah, just like, what a, what a jackass, you know? It's like, eat, eat it with your fingers, you know? And so we mentioned that just in conversation. Larry and Jerry said, laughed and said, well, we'll do that, you know? Mm-hmm. That, so they really were looking for r- real-life events that you didn't think were funny at the time but take you off. One time Jerry came back. Uh, he had been on tour, and he said, like, my assistant, before I went out on stage, said, I don't want you to freak out, but the pilot is sitting in the audience for the show, so don't freak out. He was like, why would I freak out? Why would I freak out? Why do I care if the pilot's in the audience? So then the next day we pitched him an idea where his assistant said that, and mm-hmm. he sees a pilot in the audience. The pilot he, for the plane that he yeah, needed to fly, okay. And he freaks out, and uh, he loved it. And uh, there's an interesting story about that, the guy who played the pilot, 
we were sitting around and for some reason the guy who was playing the pilot didn't show up. He said, who are we going to get? And suddenly the Arrowhead water, do you have Arrowhead water here in Ohio? No. It's like bottled water. The Arrowhead water okay. guy walked in and he looked just like a pilot. And he said, hey, would you put on this uniform and be in the show? And so he was in the show, he didn't have any lines, and the next day he quit his job at Arrowhead water and has tried to become an actor. <laughs> How's that worked out for him? He hasn't had a job since. Okay, good, good. I'm, <laughs> it's, yeah. I'm glad to see that you're really helping out uh, yeah. the uh, the people that, that are working time on the ago. show. Maybe he has a job by now. <laughs> tell me, tell me about the Billy Ireland Festival of Cartoon. Ah, uh, the art. Billy Ireland Festival. Uh, what's it's great? What goes on there? It happens every three years. Every three years. This is my first year here. Okay. And I'm actually interviewing my boss, uh, Matt Granding, on Saturday night. Okay. And uh, we brought some uh, great clips for some stuff that hasn't been on the show yet. And we, we have a compilation clip of all the cartoon and comic strip references, or not all of them, but a lot of them that have been on The Simpsons. Because right. it's a very, uh, the audience is going to have a lot of cartoonists, a lot of big names here. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's really exciting. It, it's, it's fun to hang out with other uh, cartoonists too. And, you know, it's mm -hmm. like Jeff Keen, who draws Family Circus. You know, it's like I just uh, saw him this morning. That's really? right, I saw Jeff Keen. Okay. And, uh, what do you talk <laughs> who knows? about? What do you talk about at a thing like this? What's the shop talk for cartoonists uh, as uh, opposed to comedy writers who are smoking marijuana, <laughs> drinking beer yeah. in the morning? Well, no, that was like that. that was back in the seventies. Okay. I, right. I don't so, know. What, the the writing staff at, at the Simpsons is very sober. There's no there's no partying or anything. Okay. Everybody is uh, everybody has families and stuff. In fact, I can tell you, ten years ago, I worked on Futurama mm -hmm. when that started, and at the time, nobody there had. Uh, wives or girlfriends, so they were happy to stay there till three in the morning, like mm -hmm. doing math problems, just entertaining themselves. And now- I'm uh, sorry, did you say doing math problems? Yeah, yeah. It was like, it was the most overeducated st writing stuff when Futurama started. And then it was down for a few years, now they're back, and now they all have uh, families. So now they don't stay till three in the morning doing math problems. They want to uh, go mm -hmm. home. Well, I've noticed a stunning lack of math problems <laughs> in Futurama. No, yeah. What's cool about Futurama, <laughs> you can freeze frame on math problems, and they're actually like solvable <laughs> math problems. Okay. They they teach uh, they teach Futurama at at some colleges, not not very good colleges, but. <laughs> <laughs> So not at OSU. Yeah. Yeah. That's no, maybe, maybe U of M. Yeah. Uh, so hanging out with cartoonists, I'm still so amazed Like when I meet cartoonists. It's just like, wow, I'm mm -hmm. having a beer with Jeff Keane, the guy, mm -hmm. the inspiration for Jeffy uh, uh, from Family Circus. Yeah, okay, because it's Bill Keane. It was Bill his Keane's dad, his dad who yeah. wrote it. Is he still writing it? Or uh, it no, but Jeff has okay. pretty much taken over the, okay. the thing, yeah. Because I've noticed that these comic strip dynasties, uh, yeah, there's Hagger a lot the of Horrible them. was the same yes, way, yeah, with Dick from Brown Chris and, to Dick Browner. Yeah. The other way around. And, uh, and uh, Beetle Bailey, uh, right. uh, Mort Walker, and Mort. Brian Walker, who's going to be here. Um, Patrick McDonald, the guy who draws Mutz, is going to be here. Okay. Art Spiegelman. Um, yeah. So So this uh, is the destiny with, of your your son. You said he wanted to be a cartoonist? No, he wants to be a TV writer. Oh, TV writer. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I was, but that's what he'll, he, you should push him towards. Right. So he could no, be. No, no, it's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, because there are no there are no dynasties of, of comedy writers. There are actually there some. Are. Yeah, there's a guy. Uh, Jay Kogan, uh, whose dad is Arnie Kogan, who wrote for Mad, and Jay is a really funny writer. He was on The Simpsons at the beginning. Okay. So there are some father and son comedy. So when you do teams. get together at something like this, what, what do you talk about? Do you talk about the, the state of comics, or the state of publishing? Um, how how in-depth do you get? Are you just exchanging stories about family? You know, I've, I haven't... This is like sort of my first year involved in this, so I'm, I'm not sure what we talk about. It's uh, <laughs> basically, it's just been drinking beer and... and uh, uh, um, not really talking about the state of comics. I think everyone thinks it's going towards the internet. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, newspapers are dying. But um, 
Yeah, how do you make a living? Yeah, I guess there's some of that. Okay. But, you know, they've been talking like that since, you know, the 70s. You know, when the Saturday Evening Post went out and started review and all those stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's going to go on. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty exciting now. I mean, there's a lot of funny comic strips out there online. Okay. How is being a cartoonist different from being a comedy writer? Uh, well, it's like being a cartoonist, it's, it's, it's uh, very solitary. You're just there by yourself, right. which, you know, when I was younger, I, I, I liked the social aspect of being a TV writer. Now I like uh, the solitary. Plus, you know, as a TV writer, if something screws up, you can go like, ah, oh, the actor screwed it up, or oh, the director screwed it up. When the comic strip screws up, if people don't think it's funny, it's like, you can't say, like, oh, the cartoon character. You can blame it on the <laughs> ink or, yeah. or the, the yeah, transfer, right. you know. The, yeah, the, you can't really blame it on the ink, so. But it, it gives you, uh, you know, it's something you can do all by yourself. I mean, one thing that's amazing about Matt Groening, who I'm interviewing on Saturday, you know, he's got these two great TV shows, yet for 30 years he's still been doing his weekly comic strip, Life in Hell. Mm-hmm. And I think he just enjoys the fact that he does it all by himself and doesn't have to listen to other people. Mm-hmm. I mean... TV and movie writing, it's a big collaborative thing. I mean, you can, it used to be when you know, you're in college, you watch something and go like, ah, oh, that was okay. Now I'm just amazed when I see something on TV that, that's halfway funny because you know how many ways it can get screwed up. Mm-hmm. It's like, so, you know, if, if, you, if you really care about your work, you know, I don't want anyone to mess with it. You don't want to be a TV or movie writer. You can do a comic strip or, or write a play or something. Okay. Last question. What is the Gamble and Prost infant acuity test? Wow. Well, uh, that was in Ghostbusters 2. Mm-hmm. And I think what happened was um, uh, it was a scene with Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray. Mm-hmm. And I think they were sitting around going, we should give this some kind of official name. And I bet Bill Murray said, oh, let's do Gamble and Prost. Because uh, he, he was like one of the first people we met in show business. Mm-hmm. And uh, I haven't seen him in 30 years, but every once in a while, something like that pops up where okay. I know. But you're not, getting, you're not getting residuals or trademark money from it? Uh, yes, well, from the acuity okay. test, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, okay. We've, we've helped a lot of babies uh, okay. uh, thanks absolutely. to our acuity test. Uh, uh, all right, well, I thank you very much. Hey, thank you. This was fun. being here. The uh, comic strip again, you can go to Go Comics. Mm-hmm. It's called the Doozies. called the Doozies. And go to YouTube and uh, just type in Tom Gamble. Thanks very much. Hey, thank you. For more from my guest Tom Gamble, producer of The Simpsons, visit www.writerstalk.org or friend us at facebook.com slash writerstalk. Writers Talk is a production of the Center for the Study and Teaching of Writing at The Ohio State University. Join us next week for recent Thurber House guests Lisa and Francesca Scottolini. Here's a sneak peek of that interview in which I first start off by talking to the daughter of this mother-daughter writing team, Francesca Scottolini. You have, uh, it says, contributed some essays. As far as the column goes, I usually contribute about once a month. Mm-hmm. And um, as these, we continue with the, write these books, I might be able to contribute more, and I would love to. But it's great. It's just, it's really nice to have a project that we can collaborate on. But she's kind enough to give me my own space to have my own voice, develop it. Uh, I get to write them, you know, in New York. So it's mm-hmm. nice we can work together, but not necessarily crowd each right. other. You don't edit each other's work. No. Right. Um, and you just, whatever goes in, goes into the column. Right. So yeah. that's so... Um, have you worked on something where you did do that and it seemed to be difficult or you've just always no, said you have, have your own space? Uh, we never have. I mean, I sort of, uh, first off, I, I, I think she's enormously talented and I really like to encourage, well, she's my daughter and I really want her to develop her own voice as a parent, I feel that way. Mm-hmm. But I think it's true, you know, people who are listening or watching now, I really do think that everyone has a book in them 
and everyone has a voice that they need to find. So uh, m my approach to this whole thing has been trust her, let her develop it herself. It, she sends it in, it's her byline, and they're great. I don't think... Um, so there isn't a time you've had a fight and she has a column due. And you think, boy, I don't know. No, I'm kidding. No, she never has to worry about me as far as <laughs> deadlines. But I, I do, I mean, it was a conscious decision. Certainly in, you know, high school, just growing up, she would help me. And, and of course, you have that normal parent-daughter friction. But I, I think that's something, that's why I made that choice to not have her edit me. Because I think you can always find a critic and you really you only get one mom. And mm -hmm. I have a terrific one, and so I try to protect her in that role. I do, <laughs> as a supportive I'm really going to need some more friction here. As a novelist, you know drama. I know, conflict. We have so drama everywhere else. Okay. I'm not... We're girls. We're girls. We had drama getting ready for this interview. We had to get ready, you know, I mean, like... Well, you sort of corner. coordinated. You came very close to OSU's colors. I, with scarlet and gray, this is blue, plan. I think. I'm slightly colorblind, <laughs> if I'm right, if we do the color corrections yeah, it's right. it's sort of slate or something. We did actually think that on the way over. Mm -hmm. yeah. Good, good, good. Guys. So tell me about, uh, you talk about allowing her to, helping her to develop her voice. I'm interested in the way that you created your voice within your fiction, how uh, you worked through that to yeah. come to something like that as well, a Well, I mean, I, I've done 17 novels now, now writing a memoir. You sort of see that there isn't really much of a difference. And it's funny how it sort of proceeds almost naturally from the discussion about her. And maybe something that would help your, your viewers and listeners, because I really think that the key to developing your own voice is getting out of your own way. You know, so I kind of got out of her way and my own process I mean, you, you talk to lots of writers. Most of us, I think, are deeply insecure. At least the ones I like are insecure. The, the secure ones are full of themselves. But the who are the the, the real secure ones. Oh, okay. I never I really there was like a specific I, name. Or, oh, or there group is, but there. we can't say on that. No, we can. <laughs> no, yeah, not my problem. Go ahead. But I sort of like. Um, I think the development of voice is so allied to the development of identity as an okay. adult, and also changes over time. And part of it, I find at home when I'm writing, and we're all alone. I'm just looking at that computer screen, going, um. Just keep the negative voices at bay, get out of your own way, and just write it down. My mantra, and I've told it to her and so she knows this is all true, is like, get it down, then get it good. And that's how I think you find your voice. You just get it down relentlessly, and I'm talking over years, and you start to let yourself emerge. That's next time on Writer's Talk from The Ohio State University. Until then, this is Doug Dangler from the top of Mendenhall Tower on the OSU campus saying, keep writing.